We're in Psalm 4 tonight. Psalm 4. You'll see as you turn that the introduction to the psalm says, To the chief musician on Neganoth, a psalm of David. And some commentators, commentators are kind of divided on who the chief musician was, whether it was intended to be the great musician, our Lord, our God, or whether it was perhaps Asaph or, or one of the other leaders uh, in the temple there. And then the Neganoth is a, is a stringed instrument, or, or could perhaps could be uh, translated as well as an instrument with the hand. So maybe a, a small harp or maybe even some little cymbals or, or, or such. But, but that's, our, that's our, our introduction there. And then uh, Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, the psalm was most probably written in the same occasion as the preceding, Psalm 3, uh, and is another choice flower from the garden of affliction. Happy it is for us that David was tried. Or probably we should never have heard these sweet sonnets of faith. So I've chosen the title from his quote, A Flower from the Garden of Affliction. You know, it is many times the trials of our life that lead us into the times of greatest blessing whether it be the times of greatest spiritual blessing, um, where the Lord grows us. And you think of a few times in my life, which I would be glad to never repeat. However, would not have traded them for anything else either. Difficult days and dark days can be the pathway into our brightest days. As we see from David here in Psalm 4, he says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. David pleads for God's mercy on the basis that God has given him mercy previously. Reminds me of, of Paul in Romans chapter uh, 5, where Paul verses Romans 5, 1 to 4, where Paul says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience and experience hope. Paul's saying, yes, I've trusted, I've stepped out in faith, Lord, you've given me grace, and I hoped in your glory, and then you sent tribulations my way, and then those tribulations worked patience, and then Going through those gave me the experience so that now as I move on and I continue to grow in my love for you, Lord, I can look back with confidence 
as I head through this next trial that you've opened up on a pathway and know that you will provide for me what I need because you've done it before. David says, thou hast enlarged my path when I was in distress. Lord, I've seen you do this before. To enlarge means to, means to open up, right? To, to, to make room, to widen. He's saying, Lord, in the past when I was in a tight spot and I walked a very narrow path, you made room for me. Uh, one translation, translation, you might have that in front of you, says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Psalm 4, verse 1. O ye son, verse 2, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? How long? An honest question. How long, Lord? How long is this going to go on? How long will people turn your glory into shame? How long will people turn your honor into dishonor? How long is this going to go on? Vanity. You, vanity, you know it means emptiness, right? No purpose. Leasing just means lying. So how many... Don't you read through the Psalms and just think, but this happens today. People live for nothing. They live for emptiness. They have no purpose. They just as soon lie to you as to look at you. There's no truth. There is. But it is as though they say there, there is no truth. And David says, how long is this going to go on, Lord? As we go through verses 3 through the end of the psalm, verse 8, uh, there's six verses there. I'm going to give you nine words of description as we go through these six verses. Okay, so verse three. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will, excuse me, the Lord will hear when I call unto him. Set apart. You know that that means to be to be separated, right? To be to be distinguished. To be to be different. Um, I grew, when I grew up, my, my mom, for as long as I can remember, was a bridal seamstress. Still, it's her birthday was yesterday and got her a pair of scissors for her, uh, you know, anyway. How many seamstresses do I have or people who love to sew, all right? So just another tool for her work, okay? Um, so when we were growing up, she had a pair of ginger scissors. And they were separated from any other pair of scissors we had in the house. All right? They were distinguished. Um, we did not touch those under penalty of near death. <laughs> right? She caught us with that, her ginger scissors in our hands, cutting a piece of paper was not a pleasant sight. They were separated, all right? God says we are, we are set apart. Um, the godly, the good, the merciful, the saint, uh, as it were, set apart. The Lord has set apart those saints, if you will, who have chosen to take on the qualities and the characteristics that emulate our God and our Savior. 
One commentator says this. He says, what a rare persons the godly are. As a flower, again our flower, as the flower of the sun, such is the orient splendor of a person embellished with godliness. The godly are precious. Therefore, they are set apart for God. He quotes the verse now that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. We set apart things that are precious. The godly are set apart as God's particular treasure. Second part of the verse here. Um, oh, I didn't give you. Okay, we have two words here for our verse three. Our, our distinguished words. So number one was separation, right? We are separated, we are set apart. And the second word for verse three is confidence, okay? Confidence, where we see the Lord will hear. Again, going back to Romans 5, Paul said that he had, it gives his, the experience that God providing for him and now moving on gave him hope. That word hope in the Bible is a confident expectation. He knew that was going to happen. He knew God was going to supply for him. So he, David's saying, I, I know that you're going to help me, Lord. Um, I, I know. He says, the Lord will hear. The Lord will hear. Um, uh, Charles Spurgeon, it says, he who chose for himself will surely hear our prayers. God has set you apart. God has called you. He will surely hear your prayers. Verse 4, as we move on, verse 4, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Now, our King James Version says all. It can be translated several different ways. It can be translated be afraid, okay, or, or disquieted, to be fret, to be moved, trembled, or to be angry. And many commentators have said that trans translated as be angry and sin not, as we hear in the New Testament. And some have said this is likely where um, that is brought out in the New Testament, where, where it's sourced from. Here, uh, stand in all or be angry and sin not. Uh, this is our command. This is our third word, command, uh, command. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Meditate, ponder. Uh, several, probably a few months ago now, on Wednesday nights, we spent some time um, together looking at a study and meditation of God's word. To take time to ponder, to meditate, uh, to speak to yourself these truths. Commune, um, verse 4, commune with your own heart these truths. Interesting that the word heart here could also have the, inter the understanding of of your mind, what you're understanding. It totally fits with this commune, meditating, ponder uh, idea, idea here. And the scripture says, commune with your own heart upon your bed 
be still. When you're lying down and it's quiet, be still. The word be still can actually mean dumb, D-U-M-B, dumb, no speaking, nothing out loud. Back to the beginning of the verse real quick. So uh, David's certainly surrounded by evil men, hmm? evil slanderous men. Um, but he could leave their harsh words, their evil words, their false words, he could leave them behind. While he's lie, lying on his bed, he could truly sleep soundly and not stew at night over what his retort would be. He could lie still and be quiet. As you or I lie on our beds at night, it's a good time to be still. It's a good time to be quiet, even to listen, to meditate on those truths of God's word, to med meditate on the goodness of God, to ponder the works of the Lord, and yes, to listen to the Lord as he speaks, to the voice of the Lord as he speaks to us. Verse 5, our two words here for verse 5, worship and exhortation. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. It's our worship. And put your trust in the Lord, your exhortation. Sacrifices, we understand that those are offerings, right? Those are things that we give to the Lord. Um, some translate this as the offer, offer the sacrifice of the righteous. Okay. The right sacrifices, give the things to God uh, that he requires. So yes, verse 4, we need to stop sinning. And then here, verse 5, but we also need to do that which is right. There's twofold. Yes, stop doing what is wrong, but yes, start doing what is right. The good works of righteousness. This is our offering to the Lord, to do that which is right. We know Psalm 107, verse 22 says, And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing. The sacrifice of thanksgiving, praising the Lord, declaring his works, telling others, those are part of our sacrifices, part of our offerings to the Lord, of doing what is right. Also, Psalm 51, familiar with Psalm 51, verses 17, and then verse 19 state, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Verse 19, then thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness and burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullock upon thine altar. And the second part, that exhortation here in verse 5 is, and put your trust in the Lord, where trust is a confidence of to confide in, or even as a refuge, 
as a refuge. We don't quite have a working understanding, I think, of that word refuge, as in maybe the medieval days of the, the bulwark or the castle where and you're under attack and you run into this safe place, right? But David says, trust, trust, put your trust in the Lord. If you remember back, and I, not everyone would necessarily remember this, but again, on Wednesday nights, I had opportunity to go through the kings of Judah uh, with those who were here. And one of those kings was King Hezekiah. And in, in uh, 1 Kings 18.5, the Bible says of Hezekiah, he, Hezekiah, trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. And we looked at that word trust, which is the same word that we have here in Psalm 4. And I do not know Hebrew, borrowed brains on this one. It's the word batach, and it means to trust. It is an unshakable trust, all right? It's that running into the refuge. Nothing's going to, and this is what Hezekiah, you know the story of Hezekiah, the armies, two, three times his size came and fought against him, and Rabshakeh wrote the letters, and he opened those out before the Lord and said, Lord, I can't do anything. He's blasphemed your name. I trust you, Lord. You and the Lord defended him, demolished uh, the armies. Nine times this word, trust or batach, is used um, to describe Hezekiah. It is the only he is the only king where the scripture uses that word to describe his faith because he trusted God that securely as his, as his trust. Matthew Henry says, honor him, the Lord. Honor him, how? By trusting him only. And not in your wealth, nor in the arm of flesh, Trust in his providence and lean not to your own understanding. Trust in his grace and go not about to establish your own righteousness or sufficiency. Trust the Lord. You've heard it often. You read it often, especially as we're in the Psalms in our scripture reading, if you're following along with the church scripture reading calendar. You're going to read that often. Do you think that was a mistake? Obviously not. But do you think that was a mistake that God repeated the fact that we need to trust him? Over and over and over and over again as we read the scriptures, we see that we're supposed to trust the Lord. Trust him to the point, as with Hezekiah, it doesn't really make physical sense. Can I say that? I just did. <laughs> Trusting God no matter what. 
He is your refuge. Matthew Henry, honor him by trusting him only. That's what we do for salvation. You can't get to heaven any other way except by trusting Jesus only. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. He is the only way. How do we expect to live our Christian life by adding other things in? It doesn't work. We honor him by trusting him only. We live in a wicked world. We live in a world where the devil has much sway in men's lives. And who is the devil? But a liar and the father of them. Don't believe the lies of the devil. When you see things out in your society, out in your culture, and they contradict what the Bible says, don't believe that lie. Believe what the Bible says. And stand on it. You might be the only one. You might be mocked. You might be laughed at. You might be fired from your job. I hope not. But folks, if you stand on the word of God and you trust him and you do what's right, do you think he's going to provide for you? Or do, we, or do you serve a different God than Hezekiah did? He is the same God today, yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God. You serve the same God that David did. You serve the same God that Hezekiah did. But do you trust them the way that they did? We need to. Trusting in God. That's his exhortation. All right? Verse 6. Verse 6. There be many that say, Who will show us any good, Lord? Lift up thou the light of thy countenance upon us. This is his prayer. His prayer. said, Lift, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You know, the unbeliever, the unbeliever is always looking to prosper material, materially, but the believer is the one who puts his trust in the Lord. He asks and trusts that God will show him good. He asks and trusts that the Lord will show him good. Lord, lift up. Thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Um, one man wrote, he said, possibly David's remembering and claiming this passage here in Numbers that you're very familiar with. Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Lord, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Verse 7, and our um, next word is joy. Verse 7, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Thou hast put, thou hast delivered, thou hast given to them. Our word is joy. God is the giver of all good gifts. 
when you receive a blessing, when you have a talent, when you prosper, honestly, folks, our first response must be to look up and say, thank you, Lord. I have nothing except it was given to me by God. Nothing. I am nothing except that God gave it to me. And so when the psalmist says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and wine increased, he says, you know, the God, the ungodly can be happy when riches increase. The ungodly must have circumstances to make them happy. However, but the godly, the man, the woman of God can have joy and gladness in their heart in the Lord apart from riches and in the midst of trial. You remember those times when that's happened? Where there's dark days. The checkbook is reading in single or double digits. <laughs> There's a car accident. A loved one who got sick. And the Lord ministers to your heart. Now you're not glad that those things happened. I get that. But the Lord ministers to your heart that there is a joy. There is a wellspring of joy in your soul. And that is only from the Lord. David says, you know, I don't need circumstances to be happy. Because the Lord gives me joy from inside. He gives me glad. The word gladness means exceeding joy. Have you experienced exceeding joy in the midst of adverse circumstances? If you have, that's God. If you haven't, you can by trusting in that God, by putting your faith in him. All right, finally, verse 8. I will lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. So finally, we have two, two words here, rest and security. Okay. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, rest, for thou, Lord, makest me to dwell in safety or security. Lay me down. Actually, just means to sleep. Peace, to be of sound and healthy body. Peace. And then... The word sleep there and sleep, that has the connotation of a long sleep. You're resting well enough that you've slept. I know some of us have a hard time sleeping through the night, right? Different ailments, maybe our minds get busy, whatever it is. But this word means that you've got a long sleep. I will both lay me down. I will go to sleep. And I will sleep. I will have a long sleep. A quote from David Goodsick. It says, David could sleep well at night, even in distressing times. 
and surrounded by the ungodly. He slept well because his safety was from the Lord, not from circumstances or even feelings. David trusted Batak. David's was in his refuge, in his God. I think of Paul when he's in prison, ready to be executed the very next day. And the Bible said the angel has to come along and smote him because he was sleeping so soundly. He had trusted in his God, no matter what happened. And security, God alone gives protection and safety. G. Campbell Morgan says this. He says, the thought of the word along is in loneliness, or as Rotherham renders it, in seclusion. And the word refers to the one going asleep. This is a glorious conception of sleep. Jehovah gathers the trusting soul into a place of safety by taking it away from all the things which trouble or <coughs> excuse me or harass. <coughs> The tried and tired child of his love is pavilioned in his peace. <clears throat> so again, these words very quickly. You can think about the psalm if we go through them. A separation. God has set us apart. And a confidence that God will hear. The command was to... Be angry and sin not. We worship the Lord by offering our sacrifices, those good things uh, to the Lord. We worship him. The exhortation was to trust the Lord. And we can lift up our prayer to the Lord. He gives us gladness or joy of heart. And he gives us rest and security as we trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word and how you know, the world just sometimes looks at the scriptures, looks at religion, and says, is it even relevant to today? And Lord, I am so thankful that your word is more than relevant. It is necessary. And that you are real and true and faithful and good. And that you meet the needs and you provide for your people. And you are trustworthy. Lord, I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts. May this psalm be a blessing to each one. Um, and with heads bowed, perhaps you say, you know, just very simply... I need to make God my trust. I need to make him my trust in salvation. Is there anybody? It seems like we're in a home crowd tonight, but is there anyone tonight would raise their hand and just say, you know, I, is there someone that can show me how, they can, how I can have Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? And I want him to be the, I want to trust him for my eternity. Is there anyone here tonight? They say, Pastor Brian, I need to be saved. And Christian, will you trust God at a, in a new level? Will you go deeper and take him as your refuge?
good times and bad times. So Lord, we ask that you'd work in our hearts here now, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.